that beer, boys. Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ebers, and on today's episode, we are a man down. Travis was uh, unavailable for tonight's episode, but uh, you might recognize our guest as a familiar voice, Matt Jackson is on with us. Um, He was on the podcast in September talking early season whitetails and how to scout them. We thought it would be only fitting that he talks about scouting turkeys as the Missouri season approaches. Matt has been hunting for over 30 years and he's got, he's had a lot of success and, you know, not only has he had success in Missouri, but he's also been around the country and, and hunted turkeys. So, Great to have him on, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy the podcast, so we'll get right into it. All right, we're rolling, Matt. Glad to have you back on, and uh, pretty excited to talk some turkeys. I know that you were here uh, in the early season. We had you on in, what, like September? And we were talking early season whitetails and, and how to scout for them. And so I, I thought it'd be good to start talking about scouting turkeys. I know Missouri season's coming up in a couple of weeks. It is. It is. Are you excited? Have you been hearing any gobbles or anything like that? Well, I'm I'm excited, uh, but probably not as excited as you young guys. You know, I know uh, how it is to be young and fired up and ready to go. Um, talking about this scouting these turkeys preseason, you know, uh, one thing as I get older, you know, I, I do less and less of the hardcore preseason uh, scouting, but I think some of that is due to I've found some methods that work. And with those methods, it maybe doesn't take as many hours out of my day, day after day, to get ready to kill a nice bird. Well, when you've been around the block a couple years like <laughs> you have, <laughs> you uh, you probably know these turkeys uh, a lot better than us. And so... You kind of have probably developed a little system that you do, maybe, and either way, whether you're you're going off new knowledge or old knowledge in the past, I, I definitely wanted to pick your brain over it. Hey, that's all right. That's all right. I don't mind at all. So uh, the last time we had you on the podcast, you know, you we were talking early season whitetails, and you ended up faring pretty good this year. Not too bad. Not too bad. I was happy. Yeah. Yeah. Tagging out with your bow and your muzzleloader, you know. It was great. Yeah, it was a good year for you. And, uh, you know, I I know you're on limited time, so we can't really get into all the all the stories on that. But, man, it it uh, it also helped me because, you know, the early season buck I got, I got on some, some white oaks that were dropping early. Right. And, uh, you know, you'd mentioned something on that podcast about these southwest corners, I believe, and how the sun kind of – drops down and the shade gets a little bit shade is there a little bit earlier than everywhere else and that's exactly where that bad boy popped out so yeah appreciate that hey you know if it works use it that's for sure so you know let's let's go ahead and get into these turkeys you know we'll we'll save that all that whitetail stuff for for later in the year but uh i guess the best thing to know you know as the season's approaching here in missouri when do you find is the best time to start scouting for turkeys? Like, well, I think I scout all year round, Stephen, to be honest with you. I mean, <clears throat> I keep the eye. I mean, just living in the country like I do, and I'm fortunate enough to hunt several places within a 20-mile or so of the house, you know, that I'm driving by these places year-round going to and fro, just doing my day-to-day living. And so I'm scouting at that time, you know, just – you know, in the winter time, you know, you may have two or three flocks get together. You you know, sometimes you can see up around 100 birds occasionally, you know. But that's, you know, three or four different groups of 25, 30 birds, you know. <clears throat> they get together on a food source in, in late season like that. And I think a little bit of it is uh, for their protection as well. You know, the more eyes, they're, they're looking for predators. But Sure, that makes sense. Do you find that... Uh that the birds you're scouting in the winter are going to be in the same areas that Mm. you're hunting? No, actually, to be honest with you, those birds can, they can break off, you know, to a a three, four mile area, you know, away from where they're at. 
depending on its terrain and where you're hunting at, you know, I mean, a lot of people will tell you, you know, when you're talking turkey, let's let's talk about what kind of turkey we're talking about. Now, are we talking about eastern birds? Are we talking about Merriams? Are we talking about Rios? You know, and, and in our case, we're talking about easterns. Mm, yeah. And uh, I think, you know, most people would agree uh, that's, that's hunted all the subspecies in, in different states would say that, the Eastern is definitely the toughest to go about. And and that's just, maybe I'm prejudiced because they've biased. kicked my butt, you know, a time or two. And, yeah. but, uh, you know, what I found, I found it to be true when I was traveling. Um, uh, well, you know, I hope so. I'm about to head to Oklahoma to go get some Rios and well, be nice if it was a lot easier than, I than promise get them in you. here in Missouri. Well, I promise you it, 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 from my experience and the experience of the friends that I've talked with and so on and so forth, uh, the reels call a little bit easier. I'm, I'm not trying to take anything away from you guys out right, there that hunt right. reels. You know, don't go kicking me. But uh, I'm just saying, uh, let me put it to you like this, that they call at longer distances. A lot of times the terrain is, is part of it because uh, it's it's more open and they're used to traveling longer distances uh, to get to a hen. Uh, you know, another thing is, too, is, that, is their roost sites are uh, really more limited a lot of times uh, depending on, a particular area you're hunting but most of the time you'll find out there when you go chasing reels and in, in say oklahoma or where, wherever you're going uh that those birds they tend to roost in the same areas time and time again uh even a bird that you've bumped or educated as we like to say you know taught him a, a lesson about uh that you really would like to have not taught him bumped him somehow and spooked him uh, a lot of times they'll, they'll still come back to that same roost site because they really don't have a lot of choices you'll have 15 gobblers in the same tree it's unbelievable really i never seen anything like it around here around here our birds got a lot more timber and they got a lot more choices about where they can roost and and you know it, you bump one here and and you may never see that particular bird again he may he may move to the the neighbors and and beyond and you know he doesn't have to uh come back to that same area for a roost site so okay okay so um just kind of keeping it on the on the uh the best times i know you say you tend to scout year round because it is important in your eyes to to know where the turkeys are at throughout the whole year but from an advantageous standpoint when uh, hunting season is near is absolutely is there any ways that you're changing uh, sure enough. Are yeah. you keen on it a little bit more as the season approaches? Absolutely. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I might be a little more lazy uh, than what I used to be when I was young. But, I mean, I kill my bird every year or, or my birds. And I, I tend to call in a few for other people as well just about every year. So I I don't go through the, the stages like I would tell a beginner or somebody who hasn't killed a lot of birds. You know, it used to be in years past. Let's say when I was in my teens late teens early 20s you know i i did all the road work i did the the leg work uh, and that means i had a bird picked out i had him scouted out i knew where he was roosting almost every day i knew where he was going to fly down i knew his travel path and what circle he was going to make what his route was in a day and not only did i have him but i had a backup bird pegged as well maybe even two you know i did the homework on them because if i went in opening morning and I've had this happen, you know, go in and set up and, and think you've got this bird all to yourself. And lo and behold, you know, there's a neighbor on the property line over there yakking his head off or what have you. I'll pick up and get out of there. It's not it's not worth it safety wise for me. You know, I, I don't want to compete uh, and get shot. You know, I have an accident, I'll say. And so I usually have a backup bird. Even to this day, I have a backup bird, you know, and that way, uh and I guess because I've, I've always been uh, kind of competitive by nature and I've got a couple good buddies uh, that take off opening day, you know, and it's always, you know, who can be the first back to the truck and with the crappie rods and, and you know, got their bird bagged and tagged opening morning, so to speak. And, and you know, it, you wanted to be the, the guy to call the other guy and say, hey, man, I'm done, man. I got the, the poles. I'm ready to go. And uh, if you weren't, boy, you know. You weren't. You know how that feels. I'm sure you know this, but have you heard of the Missouri trifecta? Sorry, I was taking a drink. No, I don't know that I have. Okay, so it's where you kill a turkey, catch a crappie, and find a morale on the same day. 
Oh, is that anything that you got you and your buddies have ever tried oh, to do? Oh man, man, I tell you what, we got a lot of a lot of record book finds, and you know, <laughs> I mean, or days or trifectas, I guess you'd say. We got yeah. we got a lot of them marked up over the years. I definitely got my I you know I, I know where a spot is uh, somewhere else, and I know where a good little crappie spot is. So if I can get my turkey down, I'm definitely gonna try yeah, to get it this year. And the thing is, it's a race between you know you and one of your buddies, or two of your buddies, or three of your buddies, or however it plays out. I have one one buddy of mine in particular that uh, he's a guy I traveled with and went to Oklahoma with, and went to New Mexico for our Merriams, and uh, you know he's a competitive by nature kind of guy too. Got the same first name I got, you know. We, we got close last name, you know. We got <laughs> yeah. confused uh, a lot of times going through school and and stuff, but. Uh, real good turkey hunter himself and i and that's you know that brings me to another thing turkey hunting together in the, in the early season could increase your odds if you have another good caller uh you know a lot of guys don't like to do that uh we did it when we traveled we didn't do it at home you know it was you go out and get your own bird on your own place and it's a race back to the truck for the crop yeah, yeah. but when we traveled we, we tended to hunt together we didn't split up to begin with you know depending on uh, how tough the birds were to hunt we we thought we would uh tag, tag team together. yeah you know and uh, when you got two guys that can talk turkey you know i'll say decent you know uh you can talk back and forth to one another and sometimes you can get them birds really fired up where they just have a hard time and but let me let me say before i go acting like doing a bunch of calling is the right way to go about it uh that's not true in any sense either, you know. I mean, uh, that's going to depend on where you're hunting and how much the birds are talking around there. And if you've done your time and you've been out there a few times, you know, before the season or even that particular day and you don't hear a lot of talk, you know, in, in days earlier or weeks previous to that, you notice that the hens don't do a lot of talking and the gobblers don't do a lot of gobbling. You know, they gobble when they're on the roost and when they hit the ground, they they shut up. They go silent, you know. And you just hear them gobble from time to time. Now, if that's the case, then then I pretty much I, I I play the same game. You know, if that's what the local turkeys are doing, then that's what I need to be doing. So I talk a whole lot less. You know, and and if you're a decent caller, it, you like to hear yourself call sometimes. You know, that's that's a bad thing to get into, but it's true. And uh, over the years, I had to tell myself, you know, it it doesn't matter how good you sound. If the birds in this area are not talking a lot, there's probably a particular reason. And and I found that to be true, whether it be people's house dogs running and they run to goblin turkeys or whether it be a, a big pack of coyotes in the, in the neighborhood that are coming to goblin birds, you know, uh, that, that Tom, he learns to drum. They do a lot of drumming and uh, they don't gobble quite as much, you know, once they hit the ground, but... Now, other birds, you know, you get into some two-year-olds or something that are doing a bunch of hammering, and the hens are talking, too, you know, competing from side to side. Well, then I'm going to be screaming, too, you know, uh, doing a bunch of talking. So so from my understanding, all that is that you're not only looking for the birds, but when you're using utilizing your scouting before the season starts, you're also listening to them and, and right. uh, picking up maybe how they're acting on a certain Absolutely. year. Absolutely. And the other thing that I, I, I need to throw in there is that I, I'm not doing any turkey calling there either. You know, a week for the season, two weeks, whatever it is, a few days, whatever it is. I'm, I'm not out there hitting my calls trying to get this bird to gobble to figure out where he's at. Yes, I'm trying to figure out where he's going once he hits the ground, which direction he wants to go to, what field he's going to first, and where he goes from there. And each one of those places, he'll have a strut zone where he spends a certain amount of time. And, I, and I'm not kidding you when I tell you, sometimes you can set your watch by these gobblers. You know, they're going to be in this area from this time to this time, day after day after day. Now, you, you may not see them sometimes because they may be 15, 20 yards just inside the brush and not gobble. So you think, well, he's not there. Trust me, he's probably there, and any turkeys, hen turkeys that are there close probably can hear him drumming or whatever. You know, when I was talking and saying that I didn't do a lot of calling in areas that uh, I noticed that the birds aren't calling, when it is hunting season, bef let me jump to the hunting season, I'm scratching them leaves, you know, I'm doing things like that to make noise rather than calling. You know, I'm, I'm doing the things that the hen turkey's doing. You know, she's scratching, 
picking bugs, scratching. So I'll scratch the leaves every 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you know, make a couple of real soft calls, you know, just you couldn't hear it. You know, as a human being, you might not hear me 30 yards away, but that gobbler can probably hear me 100 yards away. You know, if you can hear it at 30, he can probably hear it at 100, 150. I don't even know. But he can hear it better than we can, trust me. And he hears those leaves scratching as well. You learn to scratch like a turkey. That Sometimes that's all you got to do. Never make a call. You know, just scratching in the leaves. I might fly down or something like that. You know, if the birds uh, roost it within hearing distance, then I'll make the noises that a hen would make when she flies down to the ground and then scratching the leaves and never say another peep. You know, if he gobbles at me, I know he knows I'm there, you know. But now let's go back to that week previous that I'm out there and this bird's not doing a lot of gobbling, and I need to figure out which way he's traveling. Is he going from right to left? You know, how, how's it? And let's look at it as a 360. You know, he's going to make a circle, and he's going to come back to that same area to roost tonight. You know, so, and, and nine times out of ten, that's pretty much what they do. I'm not kidding you. You know, they, they make a circle. It might not be a perfect circle, but they're going to make their route, and they're going to end up in these same areas in the same times, and in order for me to figure out where that is, I'm going to use my locator calls. You know, I'm going to use the crow call. You know, I'm going to use the owl hoot early on. You know, those teams, you know. Now, I may not use a, a coyote call depending on, you know, I usually only use those uh, in the evening time when I'm trying to roost a bird the night before the hunt, you know, trying to figure out where he's at so I know where to set up the next morning. But that's a whole other whole nother game plan. Right, know? right. Yeah, so um, I guess – before we get too heavy into to the strategy as far as how you kill these bad boys, um, maybe we should talk about how you're finding them. So I guess my next question is, when you are looking for a place to turkey hunt, what pop, what pops out to you on a property that makes you believe it, it'd be the ideal location for a turkey to, yeah, to good, be? That's a good question, Stephen. You know, I mean, because obviously you don't want to hunt somewhere where the turkeys are not, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And there is places like that, you know. Um, so I would say, you know, obviously it, it goes back a lot to stuff that you do when you're hunting for a big buck. You know, once again, I'm listening. I'm listening to the guys, you know, who's talking, who saw what, strutting where. And they can't help themselves but talk and tell you what they saw you know you hear it at the coffee shop and so on mm -hmm. but besides that i'm looking with my binoculars but then when you put actual you know so i'm looking from the roadways for birds out strutting or moving or hens cutting across fields or, or toms out there strutting but when i put boots on the ground if i actually pull into a place i've never been there before and i want to see where the turkeys are you know, the first thing uh, I'll tell you is water is a, is a key element. You know, that's that's something that uh, my friend and I found out when we went to Oklahoma. You know, I can tell you a story there that would take up half the podcast. But uh, <laughs> we drove all night to get there, and, and water is a key thing. We, we jumped out. We'd been looking at these uh, aerial maps and what have you. We jump out. We we made it an hour before daylight. Boy, and and I won't say that we we probably broke a speeding law just a little bit. You know, <laughs> went a little over the speed limit to get there on time. And so we were all excited. And we jump out and we cut across what we think is this place that's dotted with oak trees and beautiful rolling hills. I mean, you know, I guess I got this picture painted in my mind of of what I'm going into, but. Uh, reality was it was these little bitty sage brushes that were about four feet tall. There wasn't a place within miles that a turkey could roost, you know. Oh I mean, there wasn't any trees, yeah. you know. So uh, we looked around when it got daylight, and we said, well, I sure feel like a fool, you know. Sure. Uh, so what we found out rather quickly was let's find the waterways, you know, because any creeks or, or rivers or anything like that, they're going to have trees around them, and turkeys going to roost in trees. So that's what we did, and, and upon locating the waterways, we located the turkeys in, in that case. Now, you know, obviously you can look for their tracks. Uh, you can hear them gobbling. You can hear hens calling. You can use your locator calls. But you can also pay attention to the ground, and you look in these areas where they're, you think like a turkey. If I want to be seen, okay, let's... He doesn't necessarily always want to be heard. You know, if there's those wild dogs, which I've had to contend with, or coyotes or what have you, that are going to come to his goblin and run him off his, his uh, strut zone, 
So think of where he could be in this particular field that he's going to be seeing. And then I go over there and start looking for tracks. I start looking for his poop. And then also, you know, one of the key things is if you're fortunate enough to find a strut zone, uh, and you should be able to if you if you look, you'll see where he, he's dragged his, his wing feathers, you know. And, and when turkeys set about strutting or, or drumming, you'll – it almost – to me it almost sounds like a stiletto – uh, coming out, you'll hear a shh, and it's his feathers, his wing feathers rubbing on one another as he flips them out like you would open a deck of cards. Just and when he does that, he drops those wing feathers down and they drag on the ground. As he's strutting in full strut, his wing feathers on both sides will be dragging the ground. And you'll notice if when you next time when you kill a bird, uh, open his wings up and take a look at the ends of them and they'll be more or less they'll be sanded off at a 45 degrees where he had them dragging on the ground it just sands them off just straight as could be you know more or less and so you'll find those drag marks when you find those drag marks in his tracks in the middle well you know there's a pretty good chance he was no there's no doubt he was strutting right there now when was he was it past one o'clock when you can't hunt you know was it early in the morning you know so that's the next thing is you you've but usually if you know where his roost is if he's roosting you, you've heard him on a roost and most generally that's the first thing I do is I get to a place if I haven't hunted it or I'm trying to locate birds to hunt I get there before daylight in the morning and I just wait for him or I might throw a locator call you know an owl call or something out there but most generally you can wait and they're going to do their thing and preseason. As more times than not, I'm not going to make a call. I'm just going to wait and listen to them gobble, and then I know, okay, they're they're roosting right here. Now the next step is, what are they doing when they get out of that tree? What are they doing? Where are they going? And so then that's when you start looking for the things that I was just talking about. And uh, if you can find that direction he's going, you can always get ahead of him, get in there and get set up. You know, uh, a lot of people like to hunt with decoys. Whether you do or not, uh, I think it's probably advantageous. You know, it's probably a good thing most of the time. I, I have seen them not work or, or scare turkeys away, but a lot of times that's those birds that have been educated. Or whooped. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or whooped. That's right. Educated in one way or another. Either educated exactly. by Big Tom yeah. uh, whooping another one or, you know, could have been shot at. Right. Yeah. Or just somebody lifting their gun. Sure. And then running, you know, it yep. could be many things. So... You know, I know that you mentioned you'll do uh, some locator calls and and you'll be scouting from the road and whatnot. But as far as sign goes, when you're looking for a turkey's roost, um, good. Yeah, we didn't. What touch are you on that. What are you seeing? Uh, what are you looking for to find that good roost right. location? That's a good question, and I'll tell you. A lot of times, I'm looking for you know these big trees with horizontal limbs. You know, they got limbs out there anywhere from the size of your wrist to your thigh and, and bigger, I guess, you know, I've seen them roost on big limbs as well, but they're horizontal limbs. Uh, so they can walk up and down and believe it or not, you know, these birds, you, you, you do enough hunting over the years and you'll see that if you're fortunate enough to set up close enough to a, a roost site and you can actually see that Tom on the roost, you'll find a lot of times if they do have a big limb that they can walk on like that, They'll, they'll walk back and forth three or four feet up there in the tree in full strut. I mean, limbs, you know, have their everything, just and gobble their full heads off. But uh, sometimes they can't do that either, you know, depending on the, the roost tree. But then I'm looking, if I don't know where that tree is, I'm looking for those limbs, and then I'm, I'll go up underneath those trees. Most of the time it's oak trees, it seems like, for whatever reason. And uh, I'll look for their, they'll be poop, you know. There'll be a lot of poop underneath their roost sites. There'll be some feathers usually, uh, you know, where they've lost a feather or two flying in and out. And then in that direct surrounding area, you know, you'll usually see where they've been doing some scratching in the leaves, you know, when they first fly down of a morning. And it seems like they always uh, tend to roost somewhere fairly close to that water I was telling you about. You know, they like to get a drink first thing in the morning. I found over the years, a lot of times when a bird flies down, the first thing he'll do is get a drink of water. And then he'll go about his strutting, gobbling, breeding, and so on and so forth. 
you're going to have everybody hunting these creeks and rivers yeah. after we get done with this podcast. Okay, well, uh, you know, speaking of creeks and rivers, then let me just throw out a little reminder or, or a little piece of information here that those streams, waterways, fences, things like that tend to be obstacles. Now, turkeys, they, they go across those streams, they go across those fences several times a day like it's nothing whatsoever. But let's say, for instance, uh, uh, the tom flies down on, on the opposite side of a creek that, you sh- that you're hunting there, the waterway. He flies down on one side, you're on the other side, say 75 yards on the other side. Well, it can be very a very frustrating morning for you in the sense that a lot of times uh, something that simple, a small little waterway or a fence, they don't want to cross it. Well, you've got them over there strutting and gobbling, strutting and gobbling. They expect you to come to them. You know, that's that's Mother Nature at its best. You know, that's the way it's intended to be. When, when you call a, a gobbler in, you're basically going against the way things are actually set up to work. You know, the... The tom is all strutting and got the big bright head, either white and red, you know, sticks out and a big beautiful tail fan and you're supposed to come to him. He's displaying and gobbling and the hen comes to him and and he breeds her and she goes on, you know, lays her eggs and what have you. But he's on the other side of the creek. He's expecting you to come. So the one thing that I learned over the years is if I know that that creek's there and or fence, if it's a fence and I have permission to hunt on both sides, I'm going to set up close enough to the fence and or the waterway that I can shoot on both sides, that he'll be within range of my shotgun. Because I've had times in the past where I, I just had limited time, whether it be when I was uh, hunting before school in the morning in high school or uh, when I was hunting before work. Um, you know, you only have an hour or so to kill your bird and then get to work or get to school. It's not going to happen like that. You know, you're not going to get him on the fly down uh, if you're not thinking about all those things. You know, the little things like that I found sometimes can be <laughs> huge as far as your success is concerned. Oh, well, yeah, they can be real stubborn. And, uh, yeah, yes. you see them crossing fences and creeks every day. and then Think nothing of it. And then whenever you start calling to them like you're talking, it'll they don't want to budge. Yeah, it'll hang them up. You know, yeah. you see it happen a lot. Well, you know, that's good advice that you can, you know, get get that shot, you know, kind of in between it. You know, yeah. assuming that the, the bird flies down close enough in range. But uh, right. uh, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, Let's say you you be this is kind of going to be a little bit of elaborate question so try to right. try to stick with me on this one. Um you either know there's turkeys in the area or you don't know there's turkeys in the area. What habitat makes you go, "Oh yeah, this is a good spot. This is advantageous for me to hunt." And we can just we can say that that there are you know there's turkeys in the area and that what do you look when when See, I told you it was going to be loud. Well, that's all right. I, I get what you're saying. Okay. You're, you're trying to get what what makes me think that birds are going to be here, that this looks really good for turkeys or what have you. And it was something that would get me fired up or excited. And for me, I, I like to see, uh, you know, the timber, obviously, uh, the white oaks, acorns. You know, the birds eat acorns. I like to see some open terrain as far as uh, agricultural, you know, some kind of fields there, uh, small rolling hills. Uh, a ridge with a creek at the bottom, you know, those type of things, you know, say turkey to me. Uh, when a big winter wheat field with a ridge and a creek at the bottom of it, uh, some rolling hills, I'm thinking turkeys for sure, you know. Um, but that's that's us hunting here at home, you know, in our particular area. So, sure. you know, yeah. I, I go to another state or something, that, that's going to, the answer's going to change. Absolutely. <coughs> Absolutely. So, um <laughs> What have you, I don't know if you can maybe think of any of your hunting locations and uh, think about, man, every year I'm able to take take a bird out just because it sets up well for a hunter and the birds want to go there. Is there anything that pops out to your mind as far as a place like that? Oh, I, I, you're talking about a honey hole, Stephen, and, and right now I can tell that this isn't about the podcast. This is about you trying to get me to tell <laughs> you where my spot is. No, man, no, no not at no, all. No. Okay, so uh, 
No, there's definitely places like that, and they are called honey holes. You know, people, you know, have their special spots where they like to go, and they kill their bird maybe, you know, just about every opening day on, you know, opening morning or what have you. But uh, those places are probably f- far and few, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they, they maybe not, but I found it to be maybe far and few. You know, there's a, there's a place like that, though, on almost every place that you hunt that has turkeys. You just have to find it. And that's when it comes back to the scouting. You know, there's a preferred roost site on this particular piece of land. You know, I find that to be true every time. You know, you I I told you that I usually kill my birds every year and and I kill a few or I don't kill a few, but I, I call a few extras in for other people. You know, I like to take a lot of youth hunting. Uh, I've taken some older guys, you know, that have never been before. I like to take people for the first time, actually. I, that, I, I think that's really cool when you can do that. Uh, it's like I get to relive it all over again myself. I see their excitement and enthusiasm, and, and you know, when they're successful, it's just awesome, you know, whether it be a kid or an old man, you know, or old woman, you know, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Nothing like killing your first turkey or deer. And right. right. Something that always stays with you. I enjoy it, you know. Yeah, so um, I'm going to keep picking your brain on this, only because, you know, if if a young hunter or a hunter that's not as experienced as you has a, an area like this and they see it, then they can, you know, maybe refer back to this episode and they're like, you know what, this right here, maybe. they talked about that on that episode and maybe. I think that this could be a good spot. So my my question is, is what is, where is your favorite place to hunt turkeys? Is it like hardwoods, heavy ag, it's a cow pastures? It's a mixture. Okay. It's yeah. a mixture of all those things, you know. Um, Maybe all in one and the same. It is. It's all. It's all those things are right there around me, you know. And just just about every one of my favorite places to hunt. There's a. There's crop fields. There's timber. There's creeks or lakes, and most of the time there's creeks, um, and there's agricultural. You know, in every place that I can think of. You know, the key to finding that sweet spot on that property is once again scouting. You know, spending a little bit of time figuring out where, to, and and there is a preferred roost site on almost every particular piece of land. Say you you have two hundred acres here, what have you? And I've seen time and time again. I was telling you how I call in birds later on for other people and so on and so forth. So I see how the birds react when the dominant bird is taken out of the picture. You know. Uh, you may have a couple, and, and when I say the dominant bird, we're talking about a, a anywhere from a three and a half year old, four and a half year old bird. You know, maybe the dominant bird in that particular area most of the time, and there'll be some two year old birds in there and/or jakes. Uh, two year olds being your birds, it's got three quarters to an inch long spur and ten inch beard. You know, good brush. You know, good bird. Do a lot of talking. Very vocal birds and run to the calls a lot of times and a lot of times they run in in doubles you know they got their brother with them you know they've been together since hatch and been hanging and so you'll see that happen a lot of times but uh so you you go out there and and you the dominant bird disappears and now 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 let me take it back i said there's a preferred roost site now so i figured that out by listening watching learning and then either i or someone else shot this bird and i see that it's a really good bird you know um and weight a lot of times is a misleading factor because he might be the lightest bird in the in the harem you know because he is not spending a lot of time he's exercising that spring (laughs) he's exercising he's not doing a lot of eating he's 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 running off lesser gobblers and he's spending his time with the ladies, and he doesn't get to eat quite as much. So he may be the the lightest bird in the crowd. And that's not always the case, you know. I I shot sure. some big, you know. I I shot a big bird. Uh, yeah. Why don't we just jump on that right now? You know. <laughs> uh, w- before we do that, though, I, I'll just kind of maybe like wrap up what you said. Basically, okay. if you're looking for these hot locations, you know, obviously you got to put the scouting in, but the diversity. Go ahead. And what I was going to say. You know, as far as once that dominant bird's out of the picture, you'll hear a lot more gobbling from these birds, but they will have been gobbling in other spots. You know, if, if I'm hearing this bird gobble here and I and I shoot this dominant bird, a lot of times one of the lesser birds, you know, a two-year-old, will move into his root site. 
where he was roosting, you know, and, and then he'll, but it'll take two or three days for that to happen before he figures out Bubba's gone, Mm -hmm. you know, or whatever, Tom's gone, you know, (laughs) and then, so that's, that to me says, okay, this, they like roosting there for some reason, and then when that happens again the next year, and the next year, and then, you know, you figure out, hey man, they, they really like roosting here for what reasons, more so than anywhere else on this piece of property, and, you know, for what, you know, each place may be different, but the fact is you can find that place. Yeah. Okay. You spend the time. All right. So, and, and from what I understand you saying, you said it was more like a, a mixture of ag, hardwoods, cow pastures, stuff like that, gr- early green, early successional growth, stuff like that. Is Winter going, wheat fields, yeah. If you can find that in the same area, then there's likely to be a good. Uh, yeah. Maybe a creek running through it. <laughs> yeah, that that just make it all the better. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, let's let's talk about this bird. I mean, it's to the point, Stephen. There's particular places when I know I'm hunting them, I'm gonna wear my rubber boots. But this other place over here, if I'm going hunting there today, I'm gonna wear my lace-up boots, my walking boots. You know, it's a difference in my footwear depending on where I'm hunting. So sometimes, you know, that's. Really, I mean. How, how long have you been turkey hunting? I mean, I don't want to, like, throw you out, <laughs> out there like that, but. Well, a long time. Let's just, uh, 30-some years, I would say. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's that's enough time to know what boots you should be wearing today. Right, right. Well, so. I will tell you that uh, I've also made the mistake of wearing the lace-up boots and then uh, not killing a bird. Oh, yeah, oh. and be hunting with Zach or somebody, you know, and, and say, hey, well, let's jump over to this place and we hop in a vehicle and drive a few miles, and then I'm wading up to my knees in water, you know. Mm-hmm. With no rubber, I've have had that happen. So, you know, I guess the best thing maybe wear rubber boots year round. But I don't like walking miles in oh, them. No. I like it in my lace ups. I, I totally agree. I can I can be a little more stealthy. Yep, no doubt about it. So, uh, we were talking about heavy birds there for a minute. So you have you killed a really nice bird. I don't know when it was exactly, but uh, I think it was a four bearded turkey, and you said it was your your biggest one. Yeah, but it was the, it was I think the unique thing about that, it wasn't just four beards, it was four ropes, you know. Yeah, yeah it, that's true. There wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, those those multi-bearded turkeys that you see where, they you know, one down. of them's got a nice one mm. and then the other one's like a couple strings. Less and know? less, yeah. That's, it, that's usually how they are. You'll have a really good beard and then you'll have one with, you know, 30 strands and then you'll have one with 10 strands if you have three beards. You know, they kind of step down. But in this particular case, it was an oddity in the fact that this guy did really have three ropes. I mean, it was pretty, and and it was an awesome hunt. Yeah, I, I want to hear about it. That's, that's where I was getting. Well, I, I tell you, uh, this particular place is, is has the hardwoods. It has the creek. It has the cattle pasture. It has a, a, a pond. And uh, this bird... He would fly down, and and it was a cattle pasture, but it hadn't been grazed for a while, so it actually had, you know, foxtail and and fescue and stuff that was waist high and higher uh, growing throughout it. Um, And this bird would stay out there. I mean, the closest trees would be a couple hundred yards away. So it was very, you know, difficult. To, and I hadn't just hunted this bird one day, but I didn't know he had multiple beards either. You know, I just knew he was a good bird. Uh, he had a heck of a gobble. Now, that's another thing. You know, a gobble sometimes will tell the difference in your, if you listen, once you learn what gobbles sound like, you know, you can't always, this doesn't always hold true, but a lot of times it does. You can definitely tell a Jake gobble because it's a half gobble. Gobble! You know, and shuts off. Okay. Um, but a lot of times the two-year-olds that I said are more vocal most of the time, uh, their gobbles aren't quite as long, and they're maybe even a little more high-pitched, if you will. Um, but a, a big, big bird, you can hear a thump in there. You know, you, when he gets that chest, you know, he's got, you can tell. You can just tell. It's a, a long-winded, big boom, booming gobble, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, this, I think, that, now I have been fooled. And hunted that big booming gobble and killed a two-year-old before, but uh, I'm just—I was right in this particular sense. Yeah, uh, I'd had glasses on this bird multiple times, and the way that he was pulling his day was—and see, I, you know, I told you earlier in the podcast, you know, they do this 360, but once again, it, it all depends on terrain, you know. Uh, that was just a generalized. Yeah, it was general thing. because there's, you know, in this place where I killed this big bird. Is a little different you know there's roads and houses and 
you know, this bird didn't have uh, a lot of area to 360, and he spent a big, big portion of his day out there in that same field, and the hens came to him, you know, and he knew, and I mean, I would be sitting there calling this bird and watch a hen all of a sudden would pop out to my left and make her way out to him, and then she'd head on out the other way you know she'd go visiting for a few minutes and then she'd go out the other corner and then wouldn't be long and here come another and I just had that happen over and over you know and I thought how am I going to kill this bird you know and uh, there's all kinds of tricks to be done but I mean I just basically I I got out in that field and I found there was a, a pond that had actually been fenced off uh, so that the cattle could not get in it and so there were some fence posts around it uh, like hedge posts and over time, some multiple rows and stuff had grown up in that fence, but there was not very much cover, you know, but the field itself had rolling hills in it, you know, where I always like to think, you know, um, Indians used to get down in low spots and they could sneak up on you and all of a sudden they're on you, you know, you hear stories like that in, in the old west. And that's kind of the way it is with these turkeys, you know, if you could use the train to your to your advantage, you know, and get in these low spots and travel on them. And that's what I ended up doing with this bird. I started out out in the field, way out away from the timber, uh, just knowing that he was going to fly down and come out there, you know, banking on it because of what he'd been doing. And sure enough, he did. So I was already out there with him. And now I'm stuck. You know, there's no way, you know, uh, I'm going to either kill this bird today or I'm going to educate him. And if I educate him, chances are things are going to be different from then on out. He's going to be even uh, a lot more difficult to kill. Well, as it turned out, I was able to use the terrain uh, and him strutting, you know, he would go into strut and turn his back to me and I, I got into a low spot and I was, and they, it kind of meandered around and I got on the opposite side of him and I'm still, and I'm with this bird, I'm just barely talking turkey. I'm doing yeah. some scratching and I'm, you know, just real soft yelps, purring a little bit, that's it. And he's shouting at me. And I actually had this bird pop his head up on me four or five times within shooting range. And I couldn't shoot him because I had my gun barrel faced the wrong way and I'm in the wide open. And uh, I was hunting. I got one of those turkey vests that, that has a seat that supports you, you know, in the middle of nowhere. You don't have to have a tree to lean up against or anything. You know, it actually has a back support and all that and so I can sit down right in the middle of a field and put my knees up you know and have my gun on there and, and be ready and you know he would gobble and, and I'd be doing my soft talking and I'd think he's gonna pop over the hill right here and he'd pop over to my left you know and he'd be 30 yards away and just nothing but a hit his head and a little bit of neck and I'd see him raise up and look and absolutely nothing I could do because I was pointing the wrong direction and we played this game and we played this game. And then he'd, he'd, he'd go back over the hill, and next thing I knew, when he gobbled again, he's 150 yards further out in the field. So uh, I'm using this tall grass and this train features, and I slip back around the other way and set up and do it again. And that happened over and over. And I, I didn't kill this bird until like 10.30 in the morning. And I'd actually planned on going to work that morning. I was just going to go out there and make a quick kill of it you know he's gonna fly down come out here in this field i'm gonna shoot him you know hey. kill him or he's gonna burn you right and, and it's gonna be done you know being a little chess match it yeah. sounds like I end up i end up taking the day off you know <laughs> that day i end up not going to work but uh sometimes you'll have that yeah <laughs> you know that spring turkey season and crappie sometimes sometimes you'll have that but yep. it was worth it you know this bird had the biggest fan i've ever seen on any bird it weighed like 29 pounds and it was just it was huge bird and and all those beards so it was a a trophy and i'll tell you this man i i actually carried this bird all the way back to my jeep put him in the back of the jeep and when i put him in there and I had his head, this is a, this is a little tip for you uh, hunters out there, you know, always take a Ziploc bag and I put it over the turkey's head and neck, you know, I take a gallon and I, a rubber band and I, I put it on there so that the blood doesn't splash all down my back and stuff when I'm carrying him over my shoulder. Another little trick I learned over the years to keep the blood off of me, just put a Ziploc bag over his head and, you know. Rubber band no, around it and walk out. Yeah, I've had blood all down the back of my legs and everything else. Even if you put them in your turkey vest, you know, they bleed all inside your turkey vest and all that. Uh, it's a lot better just to throw a Ziploc. But 
So you mentioned it was around 10.30 and you're playing this game. How, how did it finally end? It ended with uh, him popping up not too far from the end of my barrel where it was pointed. And so you were using the topography to get closer to him? And, and yeah, I was. And I actually shot that bird probably farther than I've ever shot a turkey. And, and you know, I know guys that shot turkeys out there at 60, 70 yards and even further. But that's to me, that's – I'm not going to go as far as to say it's unethical because I don't want to offend anybody. I'll just say that – it's not a high percentage shot, and, and I'm not – I don't take those type of shots. You know, the, mm -hmm. the furthest I'd ever shot a turkey previous to that day was probably 30, 35 yards. And I shot this bird between 45 and 50 steps. But I'm shooting a 10-gauge of browning gold, three-and-a-half-inch shells. I mean, I, I got all the pump I can put on it, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And uh, I dropped him dead, so, it you know – it I worked knew, out. I knew I knew I could make that shot, you know, because I had patterned my gun many, many times. Been using the same gun for a lot of years. Before that, I used a, a Browning BPS 10 gauge, you know, so I knew what the gun would do. Sure. And uh, you know, and that's that's something that I would say for your new hunters out there, you know, you need to pattern your gun. Don't don't take it for granted that that gun, because it's a shotgun. Uh, they don't all pattern the same, and not all shells pattern the same and shoot the same. So uh, I would tell you, shoot your gun, know your gun, you know, before the season. And in this case, I knew my gun. I knew I could make the shot. I made the shot, uh, carried the bird all the way back to the Jeep, threw it in the back of the Jeep, and when it did, I, I noticed, oh, my gosh, things got a freaking broom on it, you know? <laughs> yeah, and a couple I, brooms. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, it didn't just have one brush. It had, like I say, four of them, and they were all really good beards, and I'd never seen anything like I'd killed multiple beards before, uh, you know, three and four beards, but never anything like this. So it, it was a true trophy, and, and I'll tell you, it had the longest spurs of any bird. I was going to – that was my next question. How inch, long, inch and three quarters and inch and five-eighths and, and – uh, God, God bless his soul, my, my favorite dog in the whole world, Buck, uh, my lab. You know, he's 13 years old when he passed on shed, hunting, machine, uh, just an awesome dog. I had it on a, a piece of leather uh, hanging around my my mirror on my Jeep. I had put them on there, you know, the hollow, the legs hollow out, and you can use them to put around a hat band or what have you. Well, I hadn't figured out what I was going to do with it yet, but I was sporting it on my mirror, and uh, Buck, Buck ate that booger right off. Oh, of my goodness. Chewed her right up. Now, I still got one of them, but the other one, uh, yeah, yeah, took care of that yeah, one, didn't it? it was gone. Now, uh, I really appreciate, you know, you, you coming on and you, you giving us this advice about scouting. I got one more question because I know you're on limited time before, before we got to go. Um, my last question is, when you're looking at turkey sign in the woods, are you noticing that how, how are you differentiating between a hen and a tom? Well, <clears throat> I mean, the easiest way is the size of the track, you know, and that's that's not always 100%, you know, because you, you got guys that will argue the buck and doe deal, you know, a buck track versus a, a doe track, and, and you can tell the difference, especially when you're talking about a mature buck, and you can tell the difference uh, when you're talking about a mature turkey. Now, you might not be able to tell whether it's uh, got a 12-inch beard or a 9-inch beard or, you know, how big its hooks are, but you can tell it's probably a tom turkey. And a lot of times, if you can find the foot tracks and you follow them long enough, you'll see the drag marks where he's throwed his wings down and did a little bit of strutting this time of year. And then you know for sure. And then you also got... When they poop, you know, Tom's will poop in a J-hook. You know, they always tell you to look for a J-hook. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, hens, not so much. So you find a, a J-hook. You know, now it's not going to remain a J-hook when they drop it out of the roost, obviously. Yeah, it's going to go splat. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times you're going to see splat. But if you're following his tracks where he's going from point A to point B in the morning, you'll find that J-hook. You know, most of the time, it's it's Tom Turkey. Okay. It could be a Jake, you know, but it's a male turkey for okay. whatever reason. I don't know why, you know, science. Yeah. I have no, no clue. Science. <laughs> um, well, before we get off here, did you have anything you wanted to add or, or talk about before we get off here? Oh, uh, you know, I, I really don't. You know, as we're going through the podcast, you know, certain things pop up and come to mind, you know, and I mean, I'm sure there's things that I could add, but uh, without 
some leading question pulling yeah. me into it. I don't yeah. know that I can just, you know, pop it out. Well, I got a feeling this won't be our, our last podcast talking turkeys, but. I'd tell them guys out there listening, man, to, to I don't know how they would even communicate with you if they could write you letters or, <laughs> or you know, send got, you emails. So, or, yeah, we, um, that that's actually a good question that I've never really touched on the podcast. We do have an email, the573hunts at gmail.com. If any of you listeners want to send us an email about your questions, your thoughts, if you like the podcast, if you don't like the podcast, we want to hear about it because anything to make the podcast better and improve it, we're wanting to do. And yeah. as you can see, we're slowly making improvements. The last podcast that you were on, we, we didn't have all this. No, no, we had we had got some podcast gear. We, hey, don't get me wrong. It was nice riding around in a truck, you know, looking for deer, but this was all right. Yeah, this is nice and, you know, for the listener's sake, you know, they don't have to listen to Gravel Road in the right, background. Right, we sure right. had a good time, though. Yeah, we did. But, uh, yeah, no. Uh, no, if they got any questions, Stephen, that, you know, I think that's great. If they can, you know, shoot you an email and say, hey, wait a minute, this guy was talking about this and he didn't finish. Or what happens if sure. this happens, you know? I'd be more than happy to, to answer those questions or field them, you know, if you threw them. Absolutely. Out. And uh, luckily for me, you're my father-in-law, <laughs> so... If any, if you guys have any questions, um, just shoot us an email or DM us on Facebook or Instagram, and I'll I'll cover those questions for you. It'd be nice to have a listener podcast sometime where we have just listener questions. Oh, that would be. Um, but you know, we'll we'll get to that point soon enough. We'll we'll focus on the turkeys for now, and then uh, do something. Yeah, in, I, in I would the future. like. I guess if I was going to say anything, just closing the door, stepping out of here, I'd say good luck to everybody and. You know, have a safe season. You know, make sure you know what you're shooting at and know your gun. That'd All be right. It. Hey, well, thanks for coming on, and guys, we'll see you on the next one.